This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome board folks, Dr. Charles Parker here today with another, thank goodness, unusual guest. You know, we don't completely pre-select everybody, but we do think about it because we know our listeners, they're here for personal development. They want to do something with their lives, themselves personally, their family, their levels of communication, their skills, their business development. And we have a guy today who is at the complete apex of this conversation who has been very connected with professionals who are really entrepreneurially moving forward. And we'll hear more about it in just a second. Doug Vermeeren, thank you so much for coming on board. We'll talk more about you in a second. I'm going to do a little bit of a Great Plains Laboratory sponsorship, and then we're going to come back and hear from Doug. So Core Brain Journal is supported by Great Plains Laboratory. They are deep international biomedical testing leaders for improved targeted mind science details. It's the evolution of psychiatry is here. As both laboratory and webinar global thought leaders, they provide the most comprehensive set of hard data measurement tools for real biomedical answers beyond the commonplace guesswork that's happening in our world today. They also provide multiple training webinars for both the public, you folks who are listening, and the medical providers that are listening on how to use that good biomedical data effectively in their offices globally. Check out their website for references and testing details. And they've been very kind to us. Supportively, they are offering free tests at their site that you can go in and sign up for and they have a drawing and you can register for a complimentary test drawing. These tests are not $5.95. They are really, some of them are hundreds of dollars and you want to go over there and see what they have up available this week. It's at Great Plains laboratory.com forward slash CBJ for Core Brain Journal. That's easy to do. So let me tell you about Doug, folks. This is a very interesting guy. We're going to, you have to fasten your seatbelts for this conversation. Douglas Vermeeren is a searches for success strategies, took him into the offices of the founders and the CEOs of such companies as Nike, Reebok, Fruit of the Loom, FedEx, American Airlines, UGG, Ugg Boots, Uber, KFC, McDonald's, Disney, United Airlines, and Microsoft. I've never heard of any of those people. I mean, you know, <laughs> amazing. As a result, ABC Television and Fox Business are referring to him as the modern-day Napoleon Hill, and that is a serious accolade. I was telling Doug before we got started, my father used to listen to the guys who were the inspirational guys like that on 33 Records when, when I was a kid. He is the producer and director of three out of the top 10 personal development movies ever filmed. I didn't say that correctly. So there are top 10 personal development movies. He's the director of three of them, the author of three books in the Guerrilla Marketing series, which anybody that's on the entrepreneurial side has been reading those, and is a regular featured expert on Fox, CNN, ABC, NBC, CTV and CBC and others. So currently, this is where we're going. His program, the Personal Power Mastery Program, is rated as number three in the world for the most 
powerful personal development seminars. And now his new book, Personal Power Mastery, will take its place on the list of international bestsellers. Folks, this is going to be such an interesting conversation. You know, we can't get lost in the fact that this guy is really talking about how we can evolve our lives constructively in all kinds of different realities. Doug, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's awesome to be with you, Chuck. This is going to be fun. So the issue uh, that's always on everybody's minds, okay, this mm. guy is sitting on the top of Everest. How did he get started with getting the gear together to go up there? <laughs> I mean, how did he plan that trip? <laughs> well, I guess that's just it, is I didn't actually plan it. What's the funniest thing about this whole thing is, is, my father worked in construction. My mother babysat kids in the home. We had no exposure really to personal development. I had never, ever even really experienced the idea of goal setting or achievement or any of these kind of thoughts. It just wasn't in our family culture. So um, kind of my first brush was it is I was in college and I had been told by my parents, work smarter, not harder, but their version of working smarter sucked. So I was broke, <laughs> basically, right? Like, here's the deal is I always joke with my students. I say, if you want to you see how well you're following that work smarter, not harder. Look at your bank statement. It's the report card of how you've got it figured out. That's true. That's so true. And most people think they've got it figured out. And the truth of the matter is, is I thought I had it figured out too, but I didn't. And I was busting my head against the wall, trying to work harder. And the job that I had in the, at the time, I was actually in California and I was doing door-to-door -door sales. And if anybody in your audience has done that, you can get it, right? Like it was, it was nuts. And so uh, I actually was selling pest control door to door, you know, like telling people they've got bugs. So yeah. I was liked even less because nobody likes to hear that. And um, to be quite frank, I became really depressed. My results were not what they needed to be. And I was very discouraged. I was thinking of throwing in the towel and going home. And I had this, I guess, elderly mentor that kind of took me aside. And he was a fairly successful guy. And he said, um, I need you to read these two books. And he gave me two books the change my life. And they're probably two titles that your audience has heard of. The first was uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. Brilliant book. The second was Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Yeah. Now, both those books, of course, totally rocked my world. They changed my life. They opened up mind to ideas I'd never considered. But one of the things I have to admit that Think and Grow Rich did for me kind of made me a bit jealous. <laughs> now, what do I mean by that is, mm -hmm. you know, remember Napoleon Hill to write that book and the laws of success, he went out and he interviewed 400 of the world's top achievers in his day, people like Thomas Edison, Henry Ford, the Rockefellers, the Wrigley's, Andrew Carnegie. I mean, the list goes on the who's who of his day, right? So as I read that book, you know, I'm no dummy, I, I kind of looked at it as in terms of, I wonder what didn't make it into these pages, right? Like, we've got all these great lessons, but what was shared? that we just, we never ever heard or saw. And mm. so I decided what I wanted to do is I wanted to go out and start meeting top achievers in our day. And of course, I didn't really know anybody at that time. So I started with the people that I did know who were, you know, people that maybe belonged to our church or community groups or things that we'd seen. And there were a couple millionaires that were in there. And I remember I had a meeting with one of them and, you know, we would meet every kind of Friday for about six months straight. And at the end of some of like one of these interviews, about four or five months into it, he said to me, you know, you've asked me a lot of great questions on success, but there's one question you haven't asked that's going to change everything. I said, well, what the heck is that? Like, what's this question? <laughs> right? Because I thought I, I had some really good questions. I thought I was yeah. a pretty smart kid. And he says, you haven't asked me who else I know that you should talk to. And oh so I began God. to ask that question every time. And by the time I was done, just like you said in my intro, 
I had a chance to meet some of the founders of companies like FedEx and some of the CEOs from companies like Nike and Reebok and Fruit of the Loom and Christian Dior and Hugo Boss and the list just went on, but I didn't limit it to just the business leaders. We also had a chance to meet some pretty incredible athletes and celebrities and Olympians and people who achieved some amazing things. So kind of what happened to me is obviously my mind was blown. I was like drinking from a fire hose and I was 19 at the time. And this idea of this work smarter, all of a sudden I got really, really smart. And you've heard that idea that if you want to increase what you earn, you must start by increasing what you learn. I say it another way. If you want to expand what you have, you have to expand who you are. So I really began to take those principles to heart. And what happened to me as a 19-year-old who was broke, whose father worked in construction, who never saw the light of day for, you know, we were living paycheck to paycheck. I actually did in my first six months with this advice, $1.6 million, which was on average $9,000 a day. And I haven't looked back since. And now we teach some of these same strategies to our students. And that's kind of the basis of what personal power mastery is. It's not really my material that I'm teaching. It's the stuff I learned from these world's top achievers, the proven results from the guys that are doing it. So interesting. That is interesting. What a great question. <laughs> you didn't ask. This is a very, very good, uh, you know, when you really think about the connections, I mean, it's really a question about connections. You know, well, how, it, it what's is. What's your learning process? But you know what? The other thing that I found was really kind of interesting. And I see this. It's so funny. I see it with adults. And I also see it again with the teens because we do some work with them. But really the adults. Here's the deal is back in the day when I was 19, they say teenagers think they know everything. Well, I'm here to tell you that that doesn't stop as a teenager. I get so many people that come to my seminars and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I get this already. And I don't. But here's the deal is if you decide to stay where you are, you get to keep what you have. And the truth of the matter is, is most of these people who arrive and say that I'm so smart, I've got it clever, I've got it figured out, there's nothing this guy can teach me. Well, they get to stay where they are. And I'll never forget one of my mentors taught it to me this way. He says, you've got a choice in life, Doug. You can be rich or you can be right. You can't be both. And so as a young man, I decided that I needed to let go of being right. And I needed to decide immediately that Everywhere I go, I can learn. And I'm not saying that I'm going to absorb everything. In fact, you take the best and you ditch the rest. That's what Mm -hmm. you do. And as soon as I became teachable and I could admit that, wow, my way of doing things is not necessarily the best way. It's certainly not the only way, but it's generally not the best way. That's what really opened me up to abundance and wealth. And um, I'm still, you're going to find this funny. You know, even though I'm out there teaching this stuff right now, I actually still meet with my mentors. In fact, every Friday, I've got a standing meeting with a guy that's worth about $700 million. Every single week, we go for lunch. And uh, it's kind of neat because I'll sit there and uh, I've got my notepad out. I'm recording the thing just the same as if I was a student on day one, right? Fantastic. Very important. You know, it's great that you have that opportunity because what you've done is you've created a situation where you, you're not, and this isn't osmotic. This isn't passive. Oh, no, you're actively involved in creating your next life tomorrow. This is such an important point that you make too, because I think a lot of people say that they want to learn and they want to grow and they're prepared and all that. And then they just sit back and watch things happen. The truth of the matter is, is you've got to be just as aggressive to find the information as you are to implement it. And so I'm always on the lookout for mentors and people that can teach me. And to be quite frank, I've invested enormous amounts of money to get in front of the right people. Like in fact, One of the first visits that we met Oprah Winfrey, for example, I paid $3,000 each for my wife and I to go and hang with her. In fact, I just recently paid $4,000 each for my wife and I to go hang out with Ellen DeGeneres. So here's the deal is, and and I hate to say it, that how do we say it, how you show up? Let me maybe say it this way. Let's make it more concise. The universe is an echo chamber. And if you approach it with hesitation, what shows up 
they'll show up with hesitation. And yeah. so if you honestly, if you really believe in either your business or your, your brilliance, whatever it is that you've got in your life and you want to really magnify it at a high level, you need to show up at a high level. And if you hesitate and you're timid, you might as well be a spectator rather than a player on the field because no one's going to throw you the ball. People don't throw the ball to timid people. So if you are, you know, really believing in yourself, don't be afraid to invest in yourself. And I'm not just talking about money either. I'm talking about putting everything on the line, your heart, your soul, your time, your commitments, everything, because that's the way it's going to come back to you. I think that's such good advice. That is so true. You got to have, you got to have the moxie. You got to step up and be there. Okay. That's, but you know, I think another thing that happens for really interesting corporate leaders, people who mm. you speak to far more than I do. That's one of the reasons I'm asking you the question. But I think they really appreciate humility and they appreciate a person who is learning and who is willing to be on a personal level, share their pain. Because well, look, anybody that's in any kind of leadership position has had their own pain. Yeah. And the you know, is, how do you get the hell out of it? I love something that you just said there, but I, I want to maybe give a definition too, because when we're talking to a lot of different entrepreneurs and stuff about humility, most of them get that really confused with passiveness. Yeah. And Humility isn't saying I'm less than someone and I've got to be meek and I've got to be mild. Yeah. Actually, humility starts with recognizing that you're great, but that you also see the greatness in others. In other words, we're all yeah. great together. It's not that you're less, you're just as good as everyone else and they are just as good as you. And that's the thing with humility is that we recognize the value in other people enough to recognize it. We're not dominating it and we're not you know, belittling other people. We're actually making everyone of the same and high value. Right. And in fact, anyways, I was going to go away on a tangent here. We're not talking about humility forever, but I just want maybe the point to be known is that we've got to really understand that. Let me maybe put it this way. I'm sorry. I may be hijacking. This no, no, thing. no. This is good. No, stay with it. But, but you, you hear a lot of like these gurus that are out there telling people they need to step out of their comfort zone to be bigger and better and more brilliant. And I'm going to tell you that that's a load of crap. After interviewing 400 of the world's top achievers and even many more, None of them step out of their comfort zone to get stuff done. That's like me saying, I'm going to learn how to do dentistry so I can fix my own teeth. It's uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. Like that's <laughs> stupid and it's ridiculous, right? So here's what top achievers do. They actually find their brilliant zone, the stuff that they're crazy good at, that they're really, really, really good at it. And that's where they choose to become uncomfortable. And if there's things that they don't want to do that aren't within their comfort zone or aren't within their brilliance, they delegate it. You know, it's kind of funny. I was sitting for lunch one time with an actor. Some of your audience may know Edward James Olmos. In fact, you remember on um, the latest Battlestar Galactica, he was Commander Adama. Oh, he yeah. Also, yeah. Yeah, he was also on Miami Vice. He was in Blade Runner. He's like, he's done a million one movies. The guy is super intelligent and smart. So I was sitting with him at lunch and I said to him one time, what, what's the definition of success? And it's interesting because he paused for a moment and then he said, some people think success is doing the stuff you don't want to do, but it's not. It said success is finding something you love and then doing it even when it's hard. And I think this is the thing people miss is they try to become uncomfortable. They try to put on all the hats at once. They try to do so many things. And it's kind of like this whole idea of split focus. All of us have a room full of plants that we need to take care of, but you've only got one glass of water. If you try and water everything, it's all going to die. Yeah. So you need to pick two or three plants, stay focused with them, water them. And once they're growing, okay, maybe you'll add to it. Maybe you won't. But if you try to do everything at once, this is why so many entrepreneurs never, ever reach seven figures. This is just bouncing from, what do we call it? Like ADD, right? And it's ADD HD, which is ADD in high definition. They're just bouncing <laughs> from everything and never getting anything done. Well, but then there's a seduction. I think one, one of the things I've seen happen, and it's happened to myself, is when you achieve a certain level of mastery, 
and you start to feel, hey, I can do this, then there's a certain seduction that comes up and people see that you can handle certain things. Hey, why don't you jump in and fix this thing? What do you think about yeah. this right here? And it's well, so well, easy to dive off the deep end in a place yeah. that you just don't know. And mastery is such an odd term too because a couple of thoughts with that. Like one of the things that I love to do as a hobby is I actually do competitive mixed martial arts, right? It's a hobby. You know, I'm not the best in the world. I've taken my share of punches to the face. But the one thing that I think is kind of interesting is that the more you know, you've heard this old adage, the more you realize you don't know. Yeah. And uh, there's kind of a funny saying among martial artists. It says, uh, how long does it take the average person to get a black belt? And our answer is average people don't get black belts. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, is it takes that commitment, that drive and that mastery. And, you know, most people don't recognize that mastery is a lifelong journey and there's never a completion. Sure. One of the other thoughts that I think is, is kind of neat with mastery, you know, you've heard that every master was once a disaster. We all start imperfect and we evolve. But one of the things I teach my students is that when you start reaching a higher level of success, mastery actually also equals monopoly. And if we look at it from a business point of view, the ones that are not prepared, those that are average, never become extraordinary. Those that are content with average never become extraordinary. And so therefore, they're always playing at the same level. They're competing with people on price, competing with people in the marketplace to compete. They just really aren't hitting a high level of recognition. But when we reach mastery, it equals monopoly. And so we need to really be focused on becoming the very best in our game. And then the competition doesn't matter. I kind of say it this way. The difference between compete and mastery or effectiveness is actually one letter, and that's the letter L. So if you can go from compete to complete, <laughs> which means that you fill in the blanks that no one else is either capable of doing or willing to do, you will rise above your competition and you will be the monopoly. Look at Dr. Phil, right? Like maybe he's not the best psychologist in the world or psychiatrist or whatever, but he is a master marketer and master of positioning himself. And the way that that mastery has evolved in his life, he has a monopoly. On what he's doing right now, he has a monopoly. And that's what you want to have for your own life and business too. Well, it's so true. I mean, I think he, what, you, know, you talk about Phil and you talk about the martial arts, they're very similar in the sense that they're going to step up and take the punch. They're sure. going to take the shot. If they get a shot back, I don't think you really learn unless you're in the game. Unless you're really in the game. And me, I did martial arts for many years myself. And I yeah. got into the situation. I mean, have, I've had so many. You know, one of the things about martial arts is you eventually learn how to take a punch. You know, you don't go yeah. in there. You're not going to punch somebody else. They're going to punch you. Yeah, yeah. And then you, then you make a clear decision. Is that going to happen yeah. again? No, it's not. <laughs> no, it is not. So yeah. I'm going to do something else so that punch, that does not happen again. And yeah. then as a result, you then develop a different attitude. Well, here, here's something for your audience that maybe isn't a martial artist, just to kind of think about. Experience is everything. You need to get out there and do it. You just need to get involved and active. I always like to tell my students that you'll never learn how to play guitar or ride a bike by reading a book on it. You actually need to get out there and pick up the guitar or get on a bicycle. You can't observe life as a spectator and master it. And so, you know, there's, there are things that we can do to kind of help us. Like the Chinese philosopher Confucius said that there's really three ways to learn wisdom. The first is through reflection. So as we think about things and what's going on, we may, you know, I mean, you've been in the shower and you've come up with a really good idea for your business because you paused and you thought about it. But the truth of the matter is if you've never built a, like a seven figure business, you're going to find out there's some things you still don't know. You might have the great idea, but there's some things you still don't know. The second way that Confucius says we gain wisdom is through experience. Well, we call that school of hard knocks. Malcolm Gladwell in his awesome book, Outliers, talks about yep. 
us needing 10,000 hours to develop anything to experience. So that's a hard journey too. But Confucius said there's a third way. And this is the way that I really gained my success. So I know that it works. And that's through imitation. And uh, when I went out and I, I really met with these 400 top tiers, I took notes and I learned with a, a result or a goal in mind that I was going to duplicate this stuff. I was going to do what they told me to do. And so when I have people that come to our seminars, whether it's through the Entrepreneur Academy or the Personal Power Mastery stuff that we offer, I find that those, number one, those that take action and get themselves signed up first, they're easier to work with. So I give them, you know, obviously, uh, you know, special privileges because they take action first. Mm -hmm. Action is the key. But those that also come with a plan. So in other words, they know already why they're coming to join us. They know why they're signing up. They know what they're looking to get out of it. They have a really clear understanding. What do we say that a goal that's specific and clear becomes attainable and near, right? So when they, they really have that clarity around it, they can have amazing things happen. And I think that that's really kind of how, as a 19-year-old, I was able to do $1.6 million in like six months. That's like $9,000 a day. And I wasn't a smart kid, but I was very focused and I was clear with what I wanted to do. And that's the beginning of all success. So now I don't think you got that 1.6 knocking on doors. No, I didn't actually. <laughs> In fact, it's funny. As I started to learn what top achievers were doing, I found that, well, what is it? One of my mentors said it this way, and I had to laugh, and I tell my students this now, is that you'll never do a million-dollar deal at a $10 breakfast. And mm -hmm. so uh, you've got to find the right pool to swim in. And if you're really looking to leverage your brilliance or your expertise, like we talked about, what do we say? It's not a matter of thinking outside the box. It's a matter of finding the right box to think in because these boxes already exist and you can find people around you that can support you and give you the tools that you need. And I'm always against this idea of that people think that you've got to reinvent the wheel. They think that you've got to be a pioneer. They think you've got to be so unique. Well, here I'm going to tell you that idea of imitating is the foundation of all success. But it's okay to innovate on that, right? Like it's okay to make that personal, but just make sure that you have a foundation of principles and things that work. And, you know, I guess while we're on this idea of being unique and different, man, I've bumped into some real business owners out there that are very unique and different. Some of them are so different that, quite frankly, I'm not going to sit next to them at the event, right? Like they're just really way, way, way <laughs> out there. And so the different isn't the key. I think the difference is really being useful and dynamically different, meaning... Yeah. Having a difference that moves you and others forward. And what is it that we often hear said that what you love about you is your hobby, what others love about you is your business. And then so if you're there showing up just for you and your difference, you're the only one excited and pleased about it, you know, you're the only guy sitting at the table. Life and whether it's business or whether it's relationships, they refer, we really need some kind of a transaction to take place. There needs to be an exchange of energy, an exchange of love, an exchange of money, an exchange of this is how we work as people. And if you're the weirdo, if you're the guy who's so different that nobody wants to have these interactions with you, you're going to have a very hard time building abundance in any area of your life. Doug, that is all so interesting. And you know, one of my favorite words, and we're going to take a break in just a second because I'm going to ask you a question before we take the break. But one of my favorite words, and it sounds a little bit geeky and perhaps a little bit on the intellectual posturing side, so forgive me, but I love the word utilitarian. What happens is, you know, like my bottom line is, let me don't even say anything else. What's the value on a utilitarian level with that right there? If, it, if you can't use it, why are we even spending time talking about it? So my whole thing, when I ask myself, am I doing this in a way that a person could use it? That's it. And there's going to be a connection 
if I actually translate it in that manner, we're going to get connected. It's going to happen. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. Kind of what so, you were talking about. No, that's a great point. In fact, um, that reminds me of something that I, I like to get my students to do when it comes to the entrepreneurial and business side of things. In fact, uh, you've probably heard it before. People say, start with asking what problems are you really solving for your customer? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of, it's a novel approach, but I find that most people don't actually ask that question deep enough. So one of the exercises that I have my students do is to actually take a sheet of paper and write down the 25 most significant problems that they solve for their clients that the their client is experiencing. And what I find is that most people can get to about five. And then when they get to about 10, they start thinking about really deep things. When they get to 15, they now know far more than their competitors even know about these problems. When they get to 20, they themselves become far more valuable. When they get to 25, they are the leader. Now, here's where we continue this exercise. Flip the page over. Now, write 25 solutions. And I don't even care if you provide those solutions. And now, here's what's going to really knock your people's socks off. You got somebody out there that's selling. The next time you go to a meeting, instead of sitting down and chatting about the weather and you're there at Starbucks and you're talking, what you do is you take those 25 problems, abbreviate them, write them onto a sheet of paper, laminate it. On the other side, have your solutions there. Now what you do is you slide that piece of paper across to your client. Instead of talking about bull crap for an hour, say circle the problems that you're really trying to solve. Number one, it adds credibility to you because you've Love got 25 it. problems there that no one's ever thought about. Love it. They recognize it's also helping you because you know exactly now what their hot buttons are because they're yeah. going to circle those. Then you flip over the page and you say, which are the solutions you feel would help you best with that? Well, then what you do is you take those solutions with the problems and you say, I've got a package I can give to you that will help you. A meeting that was in an hour trying to BS about the weather and everything else now becomes a 10-minute meeting with a client who believes and respects your answers, your credibility, and what you can do for them. That is so well said. That is so doggone We've seen people increase their sales up to 165% so far just using that one sheet of paper. That's great. Well, listen, we're going to take a break. And what I want to do when we come back, I want to hear more about your book. I think that, you know, this is about the big picture, but it's also about what your message is in the book. And I think we spell it out a little bit and really we're going to wind up with where, where can we get it and all that sort of thing. I think there are a lot of these links are all going to be on the show notes. Because, I mean, a guy like you needs to, I mean, it's always good to have more exposure. There's so many people that are looking for answers in terms of where they're actually going to go with their lives. I think a, a kid, an adolescent, could listen to you and oh, get, some, you. get a serious message right from this dog on little and, and, conversation that we're having. And sometimes my kids do listen to me. It's pretty cool. It's definitely good. <laughs> So, folks, we're going to be back in just a moment. We're going to ask him all about his book and what he's been doing with all that. So, back in just a moment. Today, the world of mind science, psychiatry, and mental health is rapidly changing with innovative, comprehensive testing that takes both patients and practitioners into a new world of measured details with useful, understandable, and remarkably actionable plans. The key phrase here is cost-effective. Testing also introduces a key parallel word, predictability. Psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medications and our brief hospitalizations, arises directly from the complexity of measurable brain-body imbalances and impediments that explicitly interfere with medical outcomes and create costly difficulties with inadequately informed supplement and medication trials over time. Great Plains provides a leadership team of biomedical experts with advanced laboratory insights approved nationally both by the FDA and CLIA laboratory certifications and is available internationally for both public 
and medical professions. Great Plains Laboratory is the primary laboratory we've used at CoreSight for years with excellent customer service for both patients and medical colleagues. They are on the spot. They get it every time. In addition, they provide exemplary training modules, which are webinars and conferences, in an effort to broaden practice perspectives wherever you live. Do follow up on one of these complimentary test offers today at http greatplainslaboratory.com forward slash CBJ. Yeah, that's Core Brain Journal CBJ. Well, folks, it may sound a little trite, but we are dealing with a guy who is directly related to the painter Vermeer. Okay, so this is Doug Vermeeren. And we want to remember that because he is an artist right here showing us about how he paints a picture that goes right into our lives and it has more to do with the reality of life than the shadow and the light coming in the window. I can tell you that. Okay, so so what we're going to do is listen to him tell us a little bit about his book, The Personal Power Mastery Book. And it's a book and you have seminars. Let's talk about what you have some steps. What do you do? What's that situation all about? Do I have steps to get the personal power mastery is what you're saying? Yeah, I did. I Give me a little bit about what the book is about. So I, well, I think it's not. Yeah, me. yeah, for sure. No, it's a, it's a great question. You know, I think uh, the way the book is kind of built, and I wanted this to be the most effective for people to use so that they could actually get the results that they're craving in their life. And there's really kind of five areas that we talk about. You know, obviously, first starting with a connection to self, your self-confidence, your self-worth, your spirituality. Um, everything kind of stems from there. You know, with the, the spiritual growth is the second one. The next is really heading on into our health and uh, how we grow in that respect and our relationships and then our abundance. So really, I found that all goals that we set can fit into one of those categories, right? Now, here's the essence of how the book is laid out. The title itself is really the foundation of it all, personal power and mastery. And as I went out and I interviewed these 400 of the world's top achievers, I found that that idea of personal is really the foundation of, of it all. In fact, until we take something personal, until we have a really, how should we say, kind of a a personal connection to our own success and we take ownership for it, we can't create anything. In fact, one of the sayings that we have, you know, in the course is that if you own it, you can change it. And most people who have struggles in their life, they're just not prepared to own it. And that's why they get to carry on through the struggle. They pass the buck, they become victims or they feel like their external circumstances dictate more than the power that they have within. The truth of the matter is, is nothing will change until you really get personally involved. The second part of that uh, title, personal power, personal power mastery, power is really the capacity to act. That's the definition, to take action, the, the capacity to take action. And the truth of the matter is, is I think most people who suffer and are challenged with their life have not recognized that they actually have power to do something about it. And as soon as we, you know, like I said, take it personally and then act on it, things begin to change. It's like if, if you're sick of having a certain result reoccur again and again in your life, it's almost like a mathematical equation, right? One plus one equals two. Well, until you actually change one of those numbers and recognize that you have the power to change one of those numbers, you can never wind up at a three, right? You'll always keep repeating that too. And then the last part of that is mastery. We haven't really, you know, we kind of alluded to mastery in the first part of this call, but mastery is really a journey. In fact, it kind of reminds me of, uh, there was an interview once with Pablo Picasso and they talked to him and said, you know, what a master you are. And his response was, well, if you saw how hard I consistently work to become this great, you wouldn't call me a master. You'd say I have perseverance. And I think that that's such an important thing is that the minute that we say we're a master, 
we're really actually on the way down. That's fact, right. Socrates once said that we're teleological beings, meaning that our greatest happiness, if you will, or fulfillment comes when we are gaining progress. And so mm-hmm. mastery is never ever a stable, right. sort of swampy, stagnant position. Mastery is actually a continual forward movement to even greater. And so that's kind of the essence of the book. And you know, once we get into the meat of how to achieve those things, I unfold about 17 principles that I noticed in the top achievers. I guarantee they're things that you've never seen before. In fact, one of them, it was really surprising to me. Actually, many of them were. Maybe let me frame this whole idea this way. is As I was interviewing the 400 top achievers, I also was reading all the success literature I could get my hands on. For those of you that follow me on social media, you know that I actually devour between 15 and 20 full books every month because I'm on a lot of airplanes and I like to read. I don't watch a lot of TV. So during that time that I did the interviews with the top achievers over that space, I probably read close to about 7,500 different books on psychology, success, uh, wealth creation, any of these kinds of things, management, leadership, all of these things. And I found that, you know, a lot of these books would talk about goal setting and time management and, you know, different habits of success. But most of the core principles that the top achievers exhibited we're never discussing these books. In fact, traditional goal setting as we know it, the top achievers don't practice it that way. That whole write it down, set a date stuff, top achievers don't do it that way. And I think that that's the reason why so many people fail. You know, they set these New Year's resolutions or the company gets them to set some goals or, or they assign them the goals, which is even worse. Ouch. And yeah, and, and then these people never get there. And the reason why is because they're doing it incorrectly. And so uh, in the book, we unfold a lot of that. And yeah, it's a powerful book. I actually, it's so funny because I know you've got questions to ask. I, I almost feel like I want to flow right into sharing some of the crazy nuggets, which I'm sure you could ask me about, but you know, I don't want this to be turned into the seminar, right? Like, <laughs> let's go where you want to go, right? <laughs> you know how it goes? Well, you can get, hey, listen. I'm just passionate you know, about this. I, no, I'm listen, passionate. I'm not interrupting you because I love what you're talking about. This, yeah. is not, this is not something of, you know, a different people are going to interview, interview in different ways. And me, when, I get in, when I'm really interested in what's going on, why in the heck would I interrupt and ask the guy a question? It's, it's, sure, so, sure. it's so doggone sharp. I think what you could do, which would be helpful, is because we covered just the, the surface of it, but I like the whole, I, actually where I thought you were going to go with the mastery and, and the whole, I thought the business of progress and evolution was an important point. I actually thought where you were going to go, which to me would be kind of where I was going to go myself, was the emotional attachment to who you could become. Yeah, yeah. I was really thinking about an emotional becoming thing. It's cool that you talk about that because if you ask most people their goals, okay? So if I ask somebody right now, you got 60 seconds, write down your top 10 goals. They're going to give me a ton of goals in terms of what they want to have, okay? I want to have a nice car. I want to have a pay raise. I want to have a beautiful wife. I want to have a nice house, blah, blah, blah. Or they're going to give me goals in terms of what they want to do. I want to go on a nice trip. I want to, you know, go get my degree, blah, blah, blah. So people always set their goals on have and do, but very rarely do people set their goals with what they want to be. And if you look carefully at the pattern of how things arrive, we have to be it before we can do it. And then we have to do it before we can have it. It's kind of like that old saying that says actions speak louder than words. The truth of the matter is, is being speaks even louder than actions. It was funny that I got to give credit where credit is due. That's something that my wife came up with, and now I use it on my seminar. Um, but she's super smart, right? You should be interviewing her. She's smarter than me. That's correct. But, uh, but the truth of the matter is, is most of us put so much effort into the do and have part of our life that we really can't maintain the be. In fact, a really great book I'm going to recommend. Uh, I know we're talking about my book today, but here's another one. It's The Speed of Trust by Stephen M. R. Covey. And he, he talks in it, and that's Stephen Covey's son, by the way, who Seven Habits, Stephen. 
his son, The Speed of Trust. And one of the things that I love about that book, and there's so many things, so this is not a, you know, a synopsis of the book. There's just yeah. one really powerful point that, that you're going to find is that when we are the right person, when we be the right thing, we're going to find that it becomes a lot more forgiving when we sometimes do the wrong thing. We intentionally don't do the wrong thing, yeah, but yeah. as humans, we make mistakes. We sometimes drop the ball. And so if we be the right thing, we find that oh, the people are a lot more forgiving and gentle with us when we don't quite get everything right. The mm -hmm. problem with most people though, is they're not focused on the B or they don't communicate that well enough. And so when they do the wrong thing, obviously it turns into kind of a bit of a mayhem and a mess. So um, anyways, read that book. That's, well, I'm going to just, let me, let me say yeah. a word response <laughs> to you on that. I think the being thing has a measure of integrity and authenticity with it because 100%. you're really saying this is who I actually am. This is what I care yeah. about. And I'm really not too worried about what you think about it. I'm telling you right now, I think it's relevant. I wouldn't be talking to you about it right now. But I yeah. care about this. I feel intensely about it. I think it's an important thing. So what happens if I have an integrity and an authenticity about that integrity, if I screw up, hey, he was trying. You know, but yeah. if I'm not clear on that, it's really, well, that he didn't know what he was doing anyway. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. he's lost. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, as, as we went and did the interviews with the 400 of the world's top achievers, one of the things that I think opened the door for me to most of these top high level people, in fact, I was just at an event uh, a couple of weeks ago with the president of Mexico. And so to get in those kind of doors and to, to spend time with those kinds of people, Number one, I had to have my mission clear so I knew what I really wanted. But at the same token, I need to approach that really in a way where they feel like they can trust you with their time and that spending time with you is going to be valuable and it's going to serve them as well as you. Mm -hmm. And so I think this idea of having that integrity, number one, we're not just doing it for the money. If you do anything just for the money, people understand that right away and then they feel like you're a taker. But if they understand that your purpose is, is to contribute, to give back and help them expand their legacy and to share their story in such a way that, that it honors and serves them, you'll find that those doors will open. Now, keeping in mind, some of these guys, um, you've got to create an opportunity where they feel like there's some value. They're not just going to do it because you're a nice guy with a smiley face and you're, they get people on their, knocking on their doors all the time. So I always find how can you create, like what opens these kind of doors to me is how can you create win-win situations for them to feel as though they're honored? And that doesn't always mean that I get what I want immediately out of it. In fact, there's some relationships that I've built for a long time to be able to get you know, somebody as an interview or what have you. In fact, it kind of comes back to what Zig Ziglar used to say all the time is that if you, you, you want to get something, help another, enough other people get what they want first, and then you'll end up getting it. And, and I think that too often in our, in our society, people are impatient and they're too short-sighted and they don't recognize that relationships need to be nurtured and built. Let's put it this way, that whole idea of network, you've heard the word network equals your net worth, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's true. I get it. And I agree with it. But I think there's deeper than that. In fact, I take the word network, I break it into two words, which is net and work. And the first part I'll talk about is it takes a certain kind of work to build an appropriate network, you're right? It, there's yeah. effort that's there. It's not an automatic thing. And like we said earlier, you, you'll never do a million dollar deal at a $10 breakfast. You need to find the right places to put in the work too. But on that other side of net, there's two kinds of nets. One, obviously, you're referring to the network. You level up your network, and it's like a fishing net. The kind of fish that you'll bring in will now level up, right? You level up who you are and who you hang out with. Everything levels up. But the thing that I think is probably more important than that is that that net is also a safety net. 
And so I now have the ability to solve bigger problems, to access bigger opportunities, to expand who I am, and, and I've got support in that way. And I think that if you have people in your network who feel like they can trust you with their friends and their, you know, that's why people don't get referrals a lot of times because they, you go straight for the jugular, you know, you say, give me your friends. And these guys are like, well, I mean, you might've sold me something yeah. today or whatever, but you haven't really gained any reason for me to trust you with the people that I love and care about. Yeah. And those, those things sometimes take time, right? So I think it's an important concept. It's an important principle, right? It's totally, I mean, all we're talking about is long-term human relationships. I mean, not all, but I mean, that is a, and those human relationships are your relationship with yourself. Yeah, I was going to say that too, because if you don't trust and love yourself enough, you know, it's funny, I, I um, on every day on social media, I'm sharing like quotes and ideas and this kind of stuff. And I had somebody ask me a question not too long ago about how you survive in a downturn economy. Like my business is taking a beating and blah, 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 blah. Well, the first thing I said is, if you're going to complain that the economy is downturned, it tells me that you don't come from a place of abundance. You come from a place of scarcity and fear, and you don't think you're offering enough value. Because if you offer enough value, I don't care what the economy is, people are going to seek you out. And so um, when you feel like you're in a bad marketplace, that's actually a reflection about how you feel about what you're offering, not necessarily the economy around you. And uh, I've had situations where I've been in downturn economies. I mean, I survived 2008 and other economic downturns. Here's the deal. Find value in what you do and then find the group that you can provide it for. And maybe that even means... You're expanding beyond your current geographical location. That might be something you want to consider. By the way, this, this brings me to one of the interesting points from the book, which is hilarious. We talk about what are the powers in personal power mastery? Because I list like 17 powers, right? Wow. Well, the first power is actually something called the power of choice. And there's an interesting, I guess, story on how we realize that was the first power. And um, a lot of times people, I guess, think that all the interviews that I did were with multimillionaires and billionaires. And a lot of them were. But one of the interviews that I think was maybe one of the most fascinating was with um, a lady that I know, and she works at a suicide hotline. And kind of her job is, is as people call in and they're discouraged and depressed and they're ready to end their life, she's the one that gets the call. And so as you can imagine, um, one of the reasons that I was interested in this is we hear of all these seminars that can take somebody and turn their life around in a dime, right? Like just really take them from wherever they are to wherever they want to go in a hurry. And I thought, you know, if anybody's and have skills to turn someone around. It's the person who has to do this in one phone call to save a life, right? So yeah. this became interesting. So as I was chatting with her, I talked about the training and I said, well, how do they teach you guys to kind of cope with this situation and help someone who's ready to, to kill themselves? And sometimes even people calling these lines have a gun in their hand or maybe even a knife or poison or whatever, right? So they are on the edge. Well, she said, out of all the things that we can say, there's only one thing we're not allowed to say. I said, well, gosh, what's that? She says, we cannot tell them, don't kill yourself. I said, what? <laughs> to me, that was astonishing. Of all the things that you'd want to say, that's the one thing you can't. And she says, well, let me explain why. She says, because if you tell someone, don't do this or don't do that, what you've done is you've taken away their power of choice. Mm -hmm. And when those people are in that circumstance and situation, they feel that way because they feel like they have no choice. They're here in despair. There's no other choice. This is the only option. And so she says to give them back their power. And this is an interesting word she used, power. 
To give them back their power, we help them to see the consequences of their choice and to see that they've got more than one choice. So I've applied that to a lot of my students too. Whenever I see somebody that's gone through a business bankruptcy or maybe they're having financial difficulties or maybe it's a relationship challenge and maybe they're headed for divorce or maybe a child just passed away and there's so many areas where people have had turmoil and challenge where they feel like giving up and quitting. And my heart really goes out to them. But the greatest power that I can give back to them is help them see that they have choices. And the more choices that they begin to see in their life, the more the power comes back. Now, that's not to say that they take all of these choices, that in fact, some of these choices may not be the right fit for them, but they can begin to see that they do have a next move. It's like in chess, you know, if you're cornered and there's no next move, you're done. But if you could see that you at least have one or two things that you can do, your vision of things begin to expand and your horizon expands. And so one of the things that we do actually have our students do in our entrepreneur courses and also in personal power mastery is to actually start by picking an event in their life where they feel somewhat helpless, maybe even hopeless, and have them begin to actually list choices. In fact, we're kind of a bit tyrant with this. We actually have them often list close to 50 to 100 choices and they can't actually leave the room until they've got that and show it to us. And so, yeah, yeah, we're a bit, bit bold. But if you can think about it, you know, once you are put under the gun to think of choices, you begin to recognize a lot more. By the way, one of my favorite choices that I always make whenever I feel discouraged, the very first choice I write down is breathe. I have a choice I can breathe. And uh, just by stopping. That's pausing, basic, isn't it? Yeah. Taking a, a breath. We forget that. We forget that life goes on. There's more to come. There's more. And the breath is transcendent, by the way. You, you just take that breath and you're, you're out of the situation for a moment. True. Because you, you enter yourself even when you have that moment of breathing. Listen, That's I true. hate to stop this conversation. I love talking to you, buddy. This is so... We're having fun. You are a very, very interesting guy. And friends, we're going we're gonna to have him back sometime. And he, he can just pick the topic. I mean, you know, what's... <laughs> What's the topic? If we can help you out any way we can, we'd be more than happy to help you out. So this is Doug Vermeeren, and what we're going to do is we'll have his notes here. Doug, to let you know, tomorrow morning I'm going to send you an email with all the connections on when this will be published and all that sort of thing. Wonderful. We'd be happy to promote it. Keep you posted. And, uh, but, I mean, I'm quite sincere about that. If you have something else you want to talk about, you know, we could, we could talk about oh, the entire absolutely. life of Napoleon Hill if you want to. I don't care. I mean, it'd be be so interesting because I think people who are on that path, who are on that development path, they bring something to everybody's conversation when they just pull that curtain back a little bit and say, hey, here's what's going on. So pretty doggone interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to do it. I'd love to do it. I'd love to give your audience some free stuff if that's oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So um, we got lots of free resources, videos, and you know, some really cool things. So there's two places that they can go for that. Just join us on Facebook by typing in either Personal Power Mastery okay. or the Entrepreneur Academy. One of those two will get you to us. And um, we've got lots of cool stuff that we share at both of those groups. Obviously, the Personal Power Mastery is more of uh, life skills, uh, obviously coupled with business and success. But the Entrepreneur Academy is where we really teach you guys how to make uh, really good business decisions, profitable business uh, systems and so forth. But uh, obviously I explain it in such a way that I got it as a 19 year old kid. So let's show you how to do it. So those are both Facebook uh, pages. Yeah. Facebook groups. So yeah. Facebook groups. Thank you so much. Well, that's awesome. great. We'll do that. We'll have those on the show notes as well, folks. So thanks, Doug. Thanks so much for coming on board. Really appreciate it. You take care. Have a good one, man. You too. Thanks for listening to Corbrain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. 
Here we share the complexity of mind science because as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications like those written for ADHD are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.